Uh, today we're going to jump back into our, our just our systematic teaching uh, of the book of Matthew. Uh, we last left off covering the, the latter half of chapter 10. We actually finished chapter 10, so this morning we're going to start off with chapter 11. You know, chapter 11 uh, in the book of Matthew marks a very clear change in Matthew's book. Okay? Uh, up until this point, uh, Matthew chapters 1 through 10 focused on presenting Jesus to the people and proclaiming uh, Jesus' teachings as we looked and we saw the Sermon on the Mount. And he uh, lots of opportunities uh, for him to, to teach, lots of opportunities just for him to be presented and proclaimed. Here he is, he's coming. We saw that. Also, we got to see a lot of Jesus' power. We got to see his power over uh, uh, sicknesses and how he was able to do miracles. But chapter 11, we're going to start to see the rejection, the beginning of the rejection of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, if you know the story uh, of Jesus, ultimately he will be betrayed and rejected and handed uh, over to be crucified. And chapter 11 marks the beginning of that shift. Up until now... The people have been very receptive, very warm of him. And uh, we're going to start to see this change here in chapter 11. It'll go through chapter 6. From 11 to 16, we're going to see a lot of different people uh, that are mentioned and places that are mentioned that rejected uh, Jesus Christ. And so a, a switch, a, a change in emphasis and focus here. Okay. Uh, specifically today, though, we're going to uh, just cover uh, the first 15 verses of chapter 11. We're going to focus in on the life and ministry of John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist, who was, uh, as Jesus said, he was more than a prophet, okay? And as we go through the text, we're going to look to learn from John the Baptist and his, his example, and also to do our best to, to make application, okay, uh, to our own lives today, okay? So Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Can I invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning? Matthew chapter 11, Verses, we're going to read, go ahead and read verses 1 through 15, uh, the entire text this morning. Uh, all right, hopefully everyone's there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah to come, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would have ears to hear this morning. Lord, as we go through and just look at uh, the example of John the Baptist and, and your commentary upon the life and ministry of John the Baptist, we pray that we might be able to glean uh, just principles and application for our own lives. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would minister to our hearts as we gather here. And I know that each and every one of us have different things that are going on in our lives, things that we may be questioning or things that we uh, are not so sure about. Or, Father, uh, just decisions that need to be made or, or changes that are upon the horizon. Lord, I pray that you'd lead and guide us. Lord, and that we 
having uh, left this place uh, today, Lord, we would have spent time with you and we would have heard from you and we would have a better idea and understanding of the direction you have for us. So, Father, we ask that you would lead and guide us through your word. We just look forward to spending time with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. After looking at at verse 1, after Jesus finished commanding the 12 disciples, which, as we noted in our study of chapter 10, was probably after verses 5 through 15. If you recall our study through Matthew chapter 10, we noted how verses 5 through 15 was uh, specific instructions that were given to the uh, apostles, the 12 apostles. But then from 16 on, it was more of an application to not only disciples of that day, but also for church history. And so uh, after verse 15, and uh, presumably of chapter 10, it tells us that Jesus departed to teach and preach in the cities. Their cities simply would be referring to the cities in the region of Galilee. And Jesus, interestingly, when he sent his disciples out, he sent them out to preach and to perform healings. But here we see that Jesus, uh, his purpose in going out uh, was to teach and to preach. Okay, we know that Jesus' ministry often consisted of these three characteristics, teaching and preaching and healing. In fact, as we've read through the gospel account of Matthew, Matthew inserts these uh, uh, summary statements from time to time, and it would just say how Jesus went throughout the region or went through the cities, and, and he would teach and preach and heal people. And so we know that this was this uh, ministry that he focused in on uh, and was actively engaged in. Okay? Okay. Uh, In the opening here of chapter 11, Jesus is headed into the cities of Galilee with a purpose to teach and to preach. You know, there's a difference between teaching and preaching, okay? Uh, I looked up these words. To teach means to instruct by word of mouth, and the Greek word for teach has inherent in it the intent to influence the understanding of the person who is taught, Okay? Basically, when you're teaching, you're trying to, to better someone's understanding of a particular topic or subject. You know, most we got some teachers in here, and you would say, yeah, that, that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to teach these kids history, that they would better understand it and know what it's all about. Okay? Jesus would teach about what the law not only said, but he, what it meant as well. He would explain it to them. He taught the Sermon on the Mount, and he explained how people ought to live their life. He said, you've heard it said that you should not murder, but let me tell you that, and he would go on and explain and give application and understanding. He would teach the people, okay? Preaching, on the other hand, simply means to herald or proclaim, okay? To announce publicly. It does not have inherent in it the same expectation of learning and assimilating all that's being taught, okay? The idea is that, that preaching, it, it's simply heralding a truth and exhorting listeners to obedience without spending a whole lot of time explaining issues. For example, we see the disciples, they were sent out to preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they wouldn't spend time breaking down, well, this is what the meaning of this statement is. Okay? Uh, the kingdom of heaven means this, and, and at hand means it's, they would just say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People would know, and there's an, an application, the idea of there just to repent. Jesus would preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he wouldn't take the time to explain what, what true repentance means. Repentance means this, and repentance means that. He would just declare it. Okay, that, and that's preaching. Okay? His preaching was meant to, to proclaim a truth and exhort people to apply that truth to their life. Here's something, you need to follow it. Okay? Rather than tearing it apart and dissecting it and explaining it. He, teaching and preaching, although different, they work very well in balance of one another. And I think it's our, our first point as we look at this uh, portion of Scripture today. Okay? Jesus was well balanced in his approach. Okay? He would often go to the synagogues to teach, but would also follow up that teaching with preaching. Okay? Teaching involves explaining the message Preaching's exhorting obedience to the message. Okay? 
So we have teaching and preaching, explaining and exhorting. And here at Calvary Yukuni, I believe that the Lord has called me to simply teach the Word of God simply. Okay? I know that I'm not a dynamic, energetic preacher, you know, and I'm not going to be up here patting my brow and, you know, getting all into it. And I know that some people like that, and that's great, and I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just not what I feel like the Lord's called me to do, okay? And I'm okay with that, okay? I want to be a better preacher, okay? But I find I, I, I went to school, and before I even knew the Lord, I was going to be a teacher. And, and I think the Lord's just allowed me to use that gifting that uh, He's placed in my heart to just simply teach the Word of God, okay? And so I want, my desire here uh, at Calvary is to make simple the truths of Scripture, okay? And, and to encourage you to follow the Lord and his instruction. Okay, a simple balanced approach of teaching and preaching. I'm going to try and explain to you and then exhort you to follow it. Okay, very simple. Okay? And I believe that's the example that Jesus left for us. And it's what I believe that God has called us to do here at this church. Is to simply teach the word. Make application to our lives. Teaching and preaching. A very well balanced approach. Verse 2 says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? The John mentioned here in verse 2 is John the Baptist. Okay? Uh, what do we know about John the Baptist? Okay, based upon the text here, it tells us that he was in prison. Okay? Recall that, that John the Baptist was uh, uh, put in prison by King Herod. Okay? John was put there because he took a stand against Herod's relationship with Herodias, or Herodias, however you want to say it. Okay? Herod took Herodias as wife, okay? but Herodias was the wife of Herod's brother Philip. Okay? And so basically, essentially, Herod was marrying his sister-in-law, and John the Baptist spoke out against it, and he called it adultery. He said, this is, you cannot do that. That's wrong. And because of that, Herod didn't like that John the Baptist was calling him out. And so John was shut up in prison for rebuking King Herod. Okay? We know that John had heard about the works of Christ, it tells us here. Okay? In Luke's gospel, it actually tells us that John's disciples had been reporting to him concerning all the things that Jesus had been doing. In Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it tells us that the disciples of John were, were coming and visiting him uh, in prison and explaining to him, hey, this is what's going on. He's doing this and he's doing that. and Oh, he just did this over there. And, and so John was getting these reports about the work of Christ. He'd heard about the teaching and he heard about the preaching and the healings that were taking place. And he knew... He knew that they were the works of the Christ. Okay, that word Christ, it's, it's uh, the Greek form of the word, uh, Hebrew word Messiah. Okay, that, that coming one. Okay? He knew that the things he was doing were the works of the Christ. What else do we know? We know John, he sent two of his disciples to question Jesus on whether or not Jesus was indeed the coming one or if they should look for another. You know, uh, this bit of information, I, I, as I read this, it can be a little bit puzzling to think and to ponder upon. Why would John the Baptist question whether or not Jesus was the coming one, which is a clear reference to the Messiah? Why, why would he question? Because okay? as we look at the ministry of John the Baptist in, it, in where Matthew chapter 3 talks about it and John 1 and talks about, you know, actually all the gospel accounts have different bits of information regarding John the Baptist and his ministry. Okay? John, John was the one preaching in the desert, preparing the way of the Lord when Christ came to him to be baptized. Okay? John was the one that declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me for." He was before me. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 30. John was there when, when the, he saw that the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon Jesus Christ after the baptism. John was there when he heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
And, and so as we think of John the Baptist in his ministry, and what he was able to do, and what he was able to partake of, and, and to, to see and witness firsthand, it, it can be a little bit weird, I think, to consider, you know, what would cause John the Baptist to question something he so confidently proclaimed previously. I believe that it had something to do, something to do with the fact that John was in prison. John was a, a prisoner, and, and I believe that, that that time in prison began to take a toll upon John, and he started to question his understanding of, of who Jesus was. You see, John had been hearing about the works of Christ, things that, that Jesus did that clearly pointed to his identity as the Christ, as the coming one. He heard about the preaching and the teaching and the healing, and he's like, this is it. All the evidence is there. John knew about the Old Testament prophecies concerning the work and ministry of the Messiah. Verses like Isaiah, chapter 29, verses 18 and 19. It says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, referring to the Messiah. Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6 says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Even Isaiah 61 Verses 1 uh, and the first part of 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, making a list of things that the Messiah would do, we can begin to see why John the Baptist perhaps was beginning to question the deaf shall hear, the blind shall see, the brokenhearted are healed, the humble shall increase their joy in the Lord, uh, the poor will have the gospel preached to them, the lame shall leap like a deer. What else did it say that some of the ministry would be? Well, he said, the Messiah will also proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And, and perhaps, and we, we can't be for sure, but perhaps... John the Baptist has been hearing about all the works that Jesus was doing and was looking at these things like a checklist. Deaf hear, check. Blind see, check. Lame walk, check. Gospel preached to the poor, check. Liberty to the captives. Mm, I'm not so sure, okay? Prisons open for the, those bound. Mm, I'm still in prison. <laughs> the, I haven't been set free. Okay? And perhaps he was expecting Jesus to come and save him from the prison cell that he was bound in. And because of that time in prison, it caused John the Baptist to begin to doubt and begin to question. And, and he did. He sent his disciples to question the Lord. Are, are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Should, should we be looking for someone else? You know, I think that can happen to us sometimes. You know, we can expect Jesus to act a certain way or, or to do certain things. We think, God, God certainly this is the way you're going to work, and, and we've got this all planned out, and this is definitely the way uh, it's going to work out, right, Lord? And then when he doesn't work things out that way, we can begin to question. And perhaps we even begin to doubt. And it's like, Lord, don't you see where I'm at? And don't you see this? Don't you realize that this is definitely the best option uh, for us? And, and I think we need to guard ourselves against such tendencies. We need to remind ourselves that God's ways are above our ways and that His thoughts are above our thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8-9 tells us. When God doesn't work out things the way we think they should be worked out, we can be confident that He has a better plan and a better purpose. 
Don't question God when things don't work out as you planned. But we need to trust in His plan. Could Jesus have set John the Baptist free? Absolutely, He could have. We see through the book of Acts a number of prisoners that were set free. But God had a better plan. A plan that would be used for His glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. And we need to be confident that God has a better plan for our lives as well. And so if you find yourselves like John the Baptist, if you start wondering, God, why are you doing this? Or why is this not working out the way that I planned and I thought it would work? Be confident that God has a better plan. Verses 4 through 6, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus answered John's disciples by telling the disciples to go tell John all the things that were going on. All the things that they had heard and, and saw, which he, he, they were already doing. Okay? Jesus then lists off some of the things that were happening. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That word poor, it actually doesn't necessarily directly correlate to someone's financial status, but rather those who are low and humble, uh, those that can recognize their spiritual helplessness, like it says, the poor in spirit, uh, Matthew chapter 10, or Matthew chapter 5, when it talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, that idea, not necessarily because I don't have money in my pocket or in the bank account, but that you're humble, that you're low, that lowly, and you recognize your need for the Lord. Jesus says something interesting in verse 6 that I think supports the idea that John the Baptist may have been struggling with Jesus' apparent lack of action on Jesus' behalf. He said, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I looked up that word offended, okay? And, and in this context, depending upon what words are connected with it, in this particular context, it means this. To be offended by someone or to take offense at his character, words, conduct, so as to reject him. And so Jesus seems to indicate, based upon what he says here, that he knows John is troubled by some of the actions or apparent inactions on his own behalf. And so he says, don't be offended by, by don't, don't, you know, uh, my inactions, the, my conduct and what I'm doing, don't be offended by this, John. Okay? He said, blessed are those who are not, who is not offended. That word blessed means processing, or excuse me, possessing the favor of God. That state of being marked by the fullness of God. We are blessed or blessed. Okay? That fullness of God. We're satisfied in God. Jesus said, you'll be blessed. You'll be satisfied and full having the favor of God if you're not offended because of me. Jesus tells John's disciples to basically tell John, hey, You'll be satisfied and full with the favor of God if you're not offended by my words and my conduct and what I'm doing. You're going to be blessed, John the Baptist. You'll be full. Don't worry. Just don't be offended by what I'm doing. It's, I believe it's as if Jesus knew exactly what John was struggling with, and he sent this word as, as a source of a gentle rebuke, but also a reminder to trust his words and to trust his conduct and what Christ was doing, and to trust in his plan. That he knows what he's doing, and that John should be able to find satisfaction in that truth. You know, I think in, in today's age, there are many that are, offend, are offended because of Jesus. They are offended by his character, they're offended by his words, they're offended by his conduct, and they're offended that so much to the point where they have rejected him. Okay? People today are offended when you share the words of Jesus with them. They don't like the idea of someone else telling them what's right and what's wrong and how they ought to live their life. And as a result, they miss out on the fullness and the satisfaction, that, that idea of being blessed, the blessings of God that come with having a right relationship with the Lord. Because they're offended by it. 
They don't like to hear it. I mean, we've been, I don't know if you've been seeing, you know, on, on Facebook and a lot of the news and stuff, the whole Duck Dynasty thing. I know we have some Duck Dynasty fans here, you know. People are offended by what Phil said about, you know, homosexuality and saying it's a sin. People are, that's wrong. You can't do that. that those weren't really, he said some other things that maybe he shouldn't have said. But uh, in regards to what he was saying, they, they were just God's word. He paraphrased basically some scripture and people were greatly offended by it. And that's what happens in today's age. People are offended by Christ and his words. I want to encourage you guys today to take the words in verse 6 very seriously. And I think that we need to be less concerned with being politically correct and more concerned with being biblically accurate. We ought to follow the instructions of Ephesians 4, verse 15, that talks about speaking the truth in love. And Warren Wiersbe writes this about speaking the truth in love. I've always liked this saying, and I think it's a good one in regards to speaking the truth in love. He says this, that truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. We don't need to be brutal, okay? In our, in our declaring of God's word, okay, and, and being biblically accurate. We don't want to be brutal, and, and we shouldn't, definitely shouldn't be hypocritical, okay? We can speak the truth in love and find fullness and satisfaction in doing so. I want to encourage you guys to be more concerned with being biblically accurate, less concerned about being politically correct, and to do so in the love of God. Verse 7, it says this, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? As John's disciples depart, Jesus then turns his attention to the multitudes, and he begins to speak about John the Baptist. And he asks three times over the next three verses the same question. Okay? What did you go out to see? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Remember that, that John the Baptist's ministry was very successful. Okay? Back in chapter 3 of the book of Matthew, we're told that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and that Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John chapter 1, uh, excuse me, Matthew 3, verses 1 and then verses 5 and 6. And so people from all around were coming out to the wilderness, out to the desert, out to the Jordan, to listen to John the Baptist preach and to be baptized uh, through water baptism. Okay? Very successful ministry. Things were happening. Okay? People were going out to see him. And, and so in verse 7, Jesus asked, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A, a reed shaken by the wind? A reed shaken in the wind pictures for us something that's, that's swayed every which way, depending upon the direction of the wind. Okay? And, and usually reeds are in water, so any type of wind that comes by, it it's blows, it shakes, it sends out ripples. The idea of something that's uh, connected uh, to this idea is a person who, who's unstable. Okay? Someone that goes with whatever thought is most prevel- prevalent. Okay? This is the, the thought of the day, we're just going to go with this. The wind's blowing this way, that's where we're going to go. Okay, unstable, back and forth, shifty. Okay, was was that John the Baptist? Someone unstable, someone intent on following the latest mainstream thoughts and opinions? Absolutely not. Okay, if anything, John was the exact opposite of that. Okay, he was the one speaking out against the powers that be. He spoke out against the religious elite, referring to them as a brood of vipers and demanding that they bear fruits worthy of repentance. He spoke out against the political powers that be, as well as he called out King Herod for his adulterous relationship with Herodias. John was not a reed shaken in the wind. And you know what? Neither should we be. Ephesians 4 verse 14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful planning, plotting. Okay. 
We, we shouldn't be unstable, tossed back and forth by whatever prevailing thoughts are out there. Okay? We need to be well-rooted. We need to be grounded in our faith. Verse 8, it says, But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Verse 8 asks, Did you go out to see a man clothed in soft garments? Soft garments would, would refer to clothing made of soft materials, fine texture, uh, like silk or, or cashmere. Uh, I had to actually look up what soft and fine uh, clothing was because I didn't know. I was like, Farrah, what's, what's considered soft and fine? Silk, cashmere. There, I, evidently, those are soft and fine textiles. <laughs> but he, he says, Did, is that what you went out to see? Someone clothed in, in silk and cashmere? Jesus indicates that those types of people, they live in king's houses, symbolizing people of, of wealth and power. Okay. Was that John the Baptist? Was he living it up in the king's house, sporting the latest fashions? <laughs> no way, right? We're told that, that John lived out in the wilderness, okay. not in the king's house. And then he wore camel's hair with a leather belt. Okay. Uh, the outer coat of a Camel's fur is coarse and hard. It's not soft and plush. It's interesting. I did look up camel's hair, and they make it like it's supposed to be like a manly sports coat out of camel's hair, and it's really soft because they use the underside of it, not the outer side of it. But anyways, just FYI. Okay? <laughs> you sport a real manly sports coat, get a camel's hair sports coat. You can be like John the Baptist. Kind of. <laughs> Okay, John wasn't influenced by the wealthy and, and the powerful. And, and, and you know what? Neither should we be. Okay? James chapter 2 tells us, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. He goes on to speak of how if a rich man comes to church in fine apparel, don't show him partiality over the poor man who also comes. He spoke of how God has chosen the poor to be heirs of the kingdom and how the rich, they oppress people and they blaspheme the name of Christ. I, I think we see that today. We can get caught up and we can, you know, ooh, you know, the, the pop stars and the celebrities and we kind of look after them and we follow them and we think, ooh, look at the latest trends are going on and I'm going to be like them and I'm going to sport this new style. And you know what? Those people, <laughs> we don't need to be following them. Okay? Don't waste time trying to, to keep up with the Joneses. Follow Christ and live a simple life. Okay. Matthew chapter 11, verse 9 through 11, it says, But what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Verse 9 asks that a third time. What did you go out to see? Did you, did you go out to see a prophet? Yes. Okay, yes. John the Baptist was a prophet, one who spoke on behalf of the Lord. Jesus then identified John the Baptist as one even more than a prophet, okay? saying he was greater than just a, a regular prophet or the prophets of old. He was... Uh, a greater than that, them. Okay? And Jesus tells us why John the Baptist was more than a prophet in verse 10 when he quotes from Malachi, chap <clears throat> excuse me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi 3, 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Okay? John the Baptist was more than just a prophet because he was chosen to be the prophet that proclaimed the arrival of the Messiah. All other prophets before him spoke of a future glory that would appear. They spoke of future events. John was given the honor of proclaiming the arrival of those future events. Because John was given the ministry of preparing the way for the Lord and proclaiming his arrival, that makes him greater than all the other prophets. It wasn't necessary that he was more holy or, or more righteous. John the Baptist was more righteous than Elijah and all the other prophets. That's not the indication at all. Okay? What made him 
that way, what made him more than the other prophets was he got to see and be a part of the fulfillment of all those past prophecies. Everything that those old prophets spoke about, those past prophecies, he got to be there and see the fulfillment of a lot of them. And so that made him greater and more than a prophet. Jesus then says that even though there was none greater born of women than John the Baptist, he who was least in the kingdom of heaven was greater than he. Who are those of the kingdom of heaven? That's you and me. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us that those who are in Christ, they have their citizenship in heaven. We're, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And, and according to, to Jesus, the least of us, okay? I'm not sure who that is, but the least of us, whoever it is, you're still greater than John the Baptist. Some of you probably are asking, I don't think so. <laughs> How can that be, you may ask. And, and again, it doesn't have anything to do with the personal character or holiness, or righteousness, or of our own selves. Okay, it has to do with our standing and position in Christ. Okay? John the Baptist, although he got to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, he did not get to partake of the new covenant that we are so blessed to partake of. He was beheaded and died before Christ implemented the new covenant through his work on the cross and his victory over the grave. He was not able to enjoy the benefits of the new covenant of grace, but died under the old covenant of the law. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this, As we may say, as a rule, that the darkest day is lighter than the brightest night, so John, though first of his own order, is behind the last of the new or gospel order, the least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest under the law. The least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest under the law. In regards to our position in Christ, we are greater than John the Baptist because of what Christ did upon the cross for us. It has nothing to do with you guys. It has everything to do with what Christ did for us. And that's what puts us as a citizen of heaven and the least of the kingdom of heaven, we can still be greater than John the Baptist because of who we are in Christ. You know, John the Baptist, he had the blessing of being the one to finally say he's here. Everyone else has said he's coming, he's coming, the, the coming one, the Messiah's coming, he's going to do this and do that. He's the one that got to say he's here. And you know what? I, we too, we have a similar blessing. And some may say even a greater blessing of not only saying that, you know, he's here, that he's come, he's here, but also that he's also coming again. We can be like John the Baptist in proclaiming, just like he did, prepare, repent, and, and, and prepare because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what, guys? We live in exciting times. And we have opportunities to be like John the Baptist and to proclaim the wonderful news of Christ arriving. Verse 12, it says this, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Okay. This verse, the exact meaning of this verse, has been debated for some time. Okay. Uh, different thoughts are out there. Two, basically, most prevalent thoughts in regards to what does this verse mean, okay? What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force, okay? And I believe the reason that this verse has been debated is because within the original Greek, it can be translated one of two ways and still be completely accurate. Because one of, uh, this verse, excuse me, the Greek grammar is complicated, okay? And word order in New Testament Greek is very free. And so, you know, certain languages, like the English language is very important, you know, word order. It can change the total uh, meaning of a sentence. And so word order is very important. 
In New Testament Greek, word order was not so important. I, I, I studied, if you've studied other languages, I know Spanish. Okay, word order, you can mix it and match it. You can, you know, throw it around different ways, and, and it still makes sense. Greeks like that, very free-flowing. And so because of that, there's been a lot of debate upon what is the exact understanding of this verse. Okay. And there's not a very clear understanding. Okay? One way that this verse can be translated is that the kingdom of heaven is being attacked by violent men that are trying to overtake it with violence. Okay? That's one way that this verse can be translated. Okay? And this could be seen even in the very life of John the Baptist. He was currently in jail, soon to be beheaded. Also, it was just talked about last week when we went through our, our portion of Scripture covering uh, our Christmas message. Okay? Herod violently attacked the town of Bethlehem, killing all those two years old and younger when the Christ was born. And, and so we can easily see and understand that this verse to be true as we look at the violence that surrounded the emerging kingdom of heaven and those that were violently attacking it, people trying to oppose it. And so we can say, okay, that, that could be it. That makes sense. You could probably support that. Okay. The second way that this verse can be translated would suggest that the kingdom of heaven is taken by men who are aggressively pressing in and laying hold of it. Okay. Okay. John Corson, in his commentary, put it this way. The kingdom of heaven is not for those who just sit back and apathetically, apathetically and say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Okay. Rather, it is taken by those who with fervency in prayer an exercise of faith, and an expenditure of energy, they lay hold of the promises of God violently and aggressively. Okay. Interestingly, this too, I think, could be applied to John the Baptist as he was out there aggressively pursuing the kingdom of heaven, exercising great faith in fulfilling the ministry that he was called to. Okay. So, in the Greek, it could be translated both ways. Okay. So which one's right? I don't know. For sure. Okay. Uh, I think I lean a little bit more towards the latter, the second one, that the kingdom of heaven is taken by those who will aggressively press in and lay hold of it. Okay. As it talks about, the next verse says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, the idea that everything up until John was like a future, a future, a future, but John comes on scene and now he's uh, aggressively you know, pursuing it. It's, it's now, it's, now's the time. The kingdom of heaven is now is at hand, and so I think there might be an indication. But you know what? If you lean the other way, you're, you're still safe. We're not going to exchange words. We're okay. I think one of them is right. I just don't know which one. <laughs> so I don't know if that helped you or hindered you. Verse 13. <laughs> For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, he shows how uh, and tells us how up until John the Baptist, everything before it spoke of future events, a future Messiah, a future coming kingdom. John, however, didn't say still yet future. He was the one that got to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. He's here. Okay? When referencing the prophets and the law, okay, this is a very clear reference to our Old Testament books that we have. The law being the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets making up another large portion of our Old Testament scripture, the law and the prophets. You know, as you read through the Old Testament law and prophets, you'll find prophecies of Jesus and his kingdom, his coming kingdom. Okay? You'll also see how there are, are shadows of things to come sprinkled throughout the Old Testament as well. Hebrews 10 verse 1 tells us that the law, it contains shadows of good things that were yet to come. Colossians chapter 2, it tells us that the festivals and the Sabbaths of the Old Testament, that they were a shadow of things to come, okay? but that the, the substance was of Christ. Okay? Romans 15 verse 4 in regards to the Old Testament scriptures, it tells us for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so, 
you know, those Old Testament scriptures, they're written for us, that we might find hope, okay? that we might find patience, that we might glean things from the Old Testament. Okay? You know, this New Year is coming up uh, uh, upon us quickly, okay? a few more days. And we've mentioned some resources in the bulletin uh, that are available to use for developing reading plans. Okay? And, and, you know, some people, you know, most people that make New Year's resolutions don't ever really keep them. Not to, you know, if you have some that you're planning, go for it. But most people don't end up keeping them. Okay? But I want to encourage you, okay, if you don't have a, a, a normal reading plan where you're reading through uh, the Bible, there's a great amount of resources that are available to you. Okay? you, you can go... Uh, I know one of my favorites is blueletterbible.com. Okay, you can go on there and you can, you can have a one-year reading plan that's uh, uh, chronological, so it'll go like based upon history, like you're following history uh, or historical. They have uh, a canonical, basically when the books were canonized, you know, in what order. You can read it uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and a Psalms, and a Proverbs. You, you, can, you can mix and match it however you can think of. They probably have those. Okay? And a lot of you guys have smartphones. You can get apps on there that have, you can develop reading programs. Logos is one. Uh, Faith Life Study Bible. Uh, even just the version Holy Bible app. Okay? All those are great resources where you can implement reading plans. And I'd like to encourage you to get into the Word. Okay? And not just the New Testament. I, I know there's a little bit of a, a of a sway that I've been hearing, you know, mainstream popularity type of things. Oh, we just want to read the red letters. We're just going to read Jesus' words. That's all we really need. And you know what? Yeah, read the red letters. That's great. But read the other stuff too. It's great as well. Okay? And as you read through the Old Testament, look for Christ. Hebrews 10 and, and Colossians 2 tell us that in the Old Testament, we can see shadows of things to come. And so as we read through the Old Testament, I find that when I read through it and I find one of those shadows or I see one of those types, that it excites me. It's like, oh, this is, this is, you know, this is the Old Testament, but it's totally talking about Jesus. Isn't that so cool? At least I find it to be cool. I, I find it exciting. Okay? Maybe you're like, you're weird, but I'm okay to be weird. Okay? You know, I just love reading through the Old Testament and coming across those things, okay? In verse 14, Jesus identifies John as Elijah to come. The Jews knew that before the Lord would come, that Elijah would first come to prepare the way. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 tells us that. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Before John was even born, an angel of the Lord visited John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, and informed him that he and his wife would have a son and that he would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that. And here's the mistake that the Jews made. What the Jews failed to realize is that the Messiah was going to come two separate times. The first advent, he came, and we, we just celebrated this last week, Christmas, his coming. Okay? And with the, his first advent, John the Baptist played the role of Elijah in preparing the way of the Lord and proclaiming his arrival. And, and so we see that John the Baptist, I believe he partially fulfilled this prophecy. Okay? However, I believe that there will be a second fulfillment of this prophecy as well during the second advent, or during Christ's second coming. In his first coming, Jesus came as a sacrificial lamb, but as his second coming, he will come as a conquering king, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Malachi's prophecy speaks of Elijah coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which to me speaks of his second coming, not his first coming. His first coming was not a, 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 a dreadful day. It was a day that we got to rejoice and celebrate. And so I believe that Elijah will come again before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately fulfill this prophecy. You know, and many speculate, and I actually agree, okay, that Elijah could be one of the two witnesses spoken of in the book of Revelation, okay, that it tells us that there's two witnesses that will 
you know, basically testify of the Lord for three and a half years, the first part of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. And so in Revelation, we have these two witnesses. They're unnamed, okay? but many people speculate that one of them could be Elijah. Okay? If not actually Elijah, okay, because one thing about Elijah is that he never died, right? He was up in a chariot of fire. So that's why a lot of people maybe think, maybe it's Elijah because it's appointed for every man to die once, and he hasn't died yet. And so people think, maybe he's going to come back because we know at the end of the three and a half years, they're going to they're kill those guys, uh, those, those uh, witnesses. Okay? So perhaps it's Elijah. But if not actually Elijah, I believe that it will be one that comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, just as John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And as we just celebrated on Christmas, Jesus' first advent, may I encourage you, to also look forward to and be ready for his second advent. The Lord is coming again. And so we need to live our lives with a sense of urgency and to make the most of the time that we have left. Verse 15 ends, and we'll end with that. It says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as we get to look and glean from the life of John the Baptist, we thank you that he was, he was not a reed shaken in the wind. Lord, he was not a, a man living it up in, in the king's house and with all the luxuries. Lord, he was a humble man, but a man that stood for you, that wasn't ashamed of you. And Lord, I pray that we would be likewise. Lord, that we would be more concerned with being biblically accurate and less concerned with being politically correct, that we would realize we need to share your truth in love and be like John and take the opportunities to proclaim your coming. Father, I pray that our lives would would honor you and, and demonstrate that we're ready for you to come. Father, I pray that if there's any here that have just been uh, kind of wishy-washy with their relationship with you and Lord, that they'd find excitement in following you. Lord, if there's any here that have been just questioning what you're doing or maybe what you're not doing, Lord, that they'd find peace and comfort knowing that your plan is best. And Lord, I just pray that as this new year comes, that we would find ourselves just more and more in love with you, desiring to spend time with you and growing closer to you. Lord, lead and guide us individually. Lead and guide us as a, as a body corporately. We look forward to just continuing to see what you're going to do in this year to come. We love you. We give you all praise, honor, and glory for you alone are worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.